Book Two, Chapter Three of the Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Two, Chapter Three. Glaucus makes a purchase that afterwards costs him dear. Hola, my brave fellows, said Lepidus, stooping his head as he entered the low doorway of the house of Burbo. We have come to see which of you most honors your Lenista. The gladiators rose from the table in respect to three gallants known to be among the gayest and richest youths of Pompeii, and whose voices were therefore the dispensers of amphitheatrical reputation. What fine animals, said Claudius to Glaucus, worthy to be gladiators. It is a pity they are not warriors, returned Glaucus. A singular thing it was to see the dainty and fastidious Lepidus, whom in a banquet a ray of daylight seemed to blind, whom in the bath a breeze of air seemed to blast, in whom nature seemed twisted and perverted from every natural impulse, and curdled into one dubious thing of effeminacy and art, a singular thing it was to see this Lepidus, now all eagerness, and energy, and life, patting the vast shoulders of the gladiators with a blanched and girlish hand, feeling with a mincing grip their great brawn and iron muscles, all lost in calculating admiration at that manhood which he had spent his life in carefully banishing from himself. So we have seen at this day the beardless flutterers of the saloons of London thronging round the heroes of the fives court, so have we seen them admire, and gaze, and calculate a bet, so we have seen them meet together, in ludicrous yet in melancholy assemblage, the two extremes of civilized society, the patrons of pleasure and its slaves, vilest of all slaves, at once ferocious and mercenary, male prostitutes, who sell their strength as women their beauty, beasts in act, but baser than beasts in motive, for the last, at least, do not mangle themselves for money. Ha! Niger, how will you fight? said Lepidus, and with whom? Sporus challenges me, said the grim giant. We shall fight to the death, I hope. Ah, to be sure, grunted Sporus, with a twinkle of his small eye. He takes the sword, I the net and the trident. It will be rare sport. I hope the survivor will have enough to keep up the dignity of the crown. Never fear. We'll fill the purse, my Hector, said Claudius. Let me see. You fight against Niger. Glaucus, a bet. I back Niger. I told you so, cried Niger exultingly. The noble Claudius knows me. Count yourself dead already, my Sporus. Claudius took out his tablet. A bet. Ten sestertia. What say you? So be it, said Glaucus. But whom have we here? I never saw this hero before. And he glanced at Leiden, whose limbs were slighter than those of his companions, and who had something of grace, and something of even nobleness, in his face, which his profession had not yet wholly destroyed. It is Leiden, a youngster, practiced only with the wooden sword as yet answered Niger, condescendingly. But he has the true blood in him, and has challenged Tetrides. 
He challenged me, said Leiden. I accept the offer. And how do you fight? asked Lepidus. Chut, my boy. Wait a while before you contend with Tetrides. Leiden smiled disdainfully. Is he a citizen or a slave? said Claudius. A citizen. We are all citizens here, quoth Niger. Stretch out your arm, my Leiden, said Lepidus, with the air of a connoisseur. The gladiator, with a significant glance at his companions, extended an arm which, if not so huge in its girth as those of his comrades, was so firm in its muscles, so beautifully symmetrical in its proportions, that the three visitors uttered simultaneously an admiring exclamation. "'Well, man, what is your weapon?' said Claudius, tablet in hand. "'We are to fight first with the cestus. Afterwards, if both survive, with swords,' returned Tetrides, sharply, and with an envious scowl. "'With the cestus!' cried Glaucus. "'There you are wrong, Leiden. The cestus is the Greek fashion. I know it well. You should have encouraged flesh for that contest. You are far too thin for it. Avoid the cestus.' "'I cannot,' said Leiden. "'And why?' "'I have said, because he has challenged me. "'But he will not hold you to the precise weapon.' "'My honor holds me,' returned Leiden, proudly. "'I bet on Tetrides, two to one at the cestus,' said Claudius. "'Shall it be, Lepidus, even betting with swords?' "'If you give me three to one, I will not take the odds,' said Lepidus. Leiden will never come to the swords. You are mighty courteous. What say you, Glaucus? said Claudius. I will take the odds three to one. Ten sestertia to thirty. Yes. Claudius wrote the bet in his book. Pardon me, noble sponsor mine, said Leiden, in a low voice to Glaucus. But how much think you the victor will gain? How much? Why? Perhaps seven sestertia? You are sure it will be as much? At least. But out on you. A Greek would have thought of the honor, and not the money. O oh, Italians! Everywhere ye are Italians! A blush mantled over the bronzed cheek of the gladiator. Do not wrong me, noble Glaucus. I think of both. But I should never have been a gladiator but for the money. Base! Mayest thou fall! A miser never was a hero. I am not a miser, said Leiden, haughtily, and he withdrew to the other end of the room. But I don't see Burbo. Where is Burbo? I must talk with Burbo, cried Claudius. He is within, said Niger, pointing to the door at the extremity of the room. And Stratonice, the brave old lass, where is she? quoth Lepidus. Why, she was here just before you entered but she heard something that displeased her yonder and vanished. Pollux, old Burbo had perhaps caught hold of some girl in the back room. I heard a female's voice crying out, The old dame is as jealous as Juno. Ho! Oh, excellent! cried Lepidus, laughing. Come, Claudius, let us go shares with Jupiter. Perhaps he has caught Alida. At this moment a loud cry of pain and terror startled the group. Oh, spare me! Spare me! I am but a child. I am blind. Is not that punishment enough? O oh, Pallas, I know that voice. It is my poor flower-girl, exclaimed Glaucus, 
and he darted at once into the quarter whence the cry rose. He burst the door. He beheld Nydia writhing in the grasp of the infuriated hag. The cord, already dabbled with blood, was raised in the air. It was suddenly arrested. Fury, said Glaucus, and with his left hand he caught Nydia from her grasp. How dare you use thus a girl, one of your own sex, a child, my Nydia, my poor infant. Oh, is that you, is that Glaucus, exclaimed the flower girl, in a tone of almost transport. The tears stood arrested on her cheek. She smiled. She clung to his breast. She kissed his robe as she clung. And how dare you, pert stranger, interfere between a free woman and her slave. By the gods, despite your fine tunic and your filthy perfumes, I doubt whether you are even a Roman citizen, my mannequin. Fair words, mistress, fair words, said Claudius, now entering with Lepidus. This is my friend and sworn brother. He must be put under shelter of your tongue, sweet one. It rains stones. Give me my slave, shrieked the virago, placing her mighty grasp on the breast of the Greek. Not if all your sister furies could help you, answered Glaucus. Fear not, sweet Nydia, an Athenian never forsook distress. Hola, said Burbo, rising reluctantly. What turmoil is all this about a slave? Let go the young gentleman. Wife, let him go. For his sake the pert thing shall be spared this once. So saying, he drew, or rather dragged off, his ferocious helpmate. Methought when we entered, said Claudius, there was another man present. He is gone. For the priest of Isis had indeed thought it high time to vanish. Oh, a friend of mine, a brother Cupman, a quiet dog who does not love these snarlings, said Burbo, carelessly. But go, child, you will tear the gentleman's tunic if you cling to him so tight. Go, you are pardoned. Oh, do not, do not forsake me, cried Nydia, clinging yet closer to the Athenian. Moved by her forlorn situation, her appeal to him, her own innumerable and touching graces, the Greek seated himself on one of the rude chairs. He held her on his knees. He wiped the blood from her shoulders with his long hair. He kissed the tears from her cheeks. He whispered to her a thousand of those soothing words with which we calm the grief of a child. And so beautiful did he seem in his gentle and consoling task, that even the fierce heart of Stratonice was touched. His presence seemed to shed light over that base and obscene haunt. Young, beautiful, glorious, he was the emblem of all that the earth made most happy, comforting one that the earth had abandoned. Well, who could have thought that our blind Nydia had been so honored, said the virago, wiping her heated brow. Glaucus looked up at Burbo. My good man, said he, this is your slave, she sings well, she is accustomed to the care of flowers. I wish to make a present of such a slave to a lady. Will you sell her to me? As he spoke he felt the whole frame of the poor girl tremble with delight. She started up, she put her disheveled hair from her eyes, she looked around, as if, alas, she had the power to see. Sell Arnidia? No! Indeed, said Stratonice, gruffly. Nydia sank back with a long sigh, and again clasped the robe of her protector. Nonsense, said Claudius, imperiously. You must oblige me. What, man? What, old dame? Offend me? 
and your trade is ruined. Is not Burbo my kinsman Panza's client? Am I not the oracle of the amphitheater and its heroes? If I say the word, break up your wine jars. You sell no more. Glaucus, the slave is yours. Burbo scratched his huge head, in evident embarrassment. The girl is worth her weight in gold to me. Name your price. I am rich, said Glaucus. The ancient Italians were like the modern. There was nothing they would not sell, much less a poor blind girl. I paid six sestertia for her. She is worth twelve now, muttered Stratonice. You shall have twenty. Come to the magistrates at once, and then to my house for your money. I would not have sold the dear girl for a hundred but to oblige noble Claudius, said Burbo, whiningly. And you will speak to Panza about the place of designator at the amphitheater, noble Claudius? It would just suit me. Thou shalt have it, said Claudius, adding in a whisper to Burbo, Yon Greek can make your fortune. Money runs through him like a sieve. Mark today with white chalk, my Priam. An dabis, said Glaucus, in the formal question of sale and barter. Dabitur, answered Burbo. Then, then, I am to go with you? With you? Oh, happiness, murmured Nydia. Pretty one, yes. Thy hardest task henceforth shall be to sing thy Grecian hymns to the loveliest lady in Pompeii. The girl sprang up from his clasp. A change came over her whole face. Bright the instant before, she sighed heavily. And then, once more, taking his hand, she said, I thought I was to go to your house. And so thou shalt for the present. Come, we lose time. End of Book Two, Chapter Three